I'm Michelle Olivier, and you're listening to Hey, I Want Your Job, the podcast that looks at amazing jobs and what it takes to get them. Welcome to this week's Hey, I Want Your Job. And I uh, have to say, I'm on the fence about whether or not I actually want Danny's job. Um, Danny, what is your job title? You want my job, Michelle. I mean, I, I don't know what my job title is. Uh, I'm, I'm an international speaker. I, I have a, a company that uh, teaches parents how to get their kids to love reading. And I'm right now working with uh, a wonderful partner in Ireland. We've created a, a social media platform for kids that teaches kids positive habits. So uh, I guess uh, the job title would be Jack of all trades, master of none. <laughs> so I think that what you do is really cool um, in that educational space, in that living kids. I mean, clearly your job title has got to be like CEO of Danny's world, right? Like that's <laughs> obviously you need to get a business card that says that. No, no trademark. You're welcome. You can have that one. That's fine. Um, so I love all of the stuff that you do. Obviously, as a mom, I have a vested interest in it. But also, I'm the um, I'm the only member of my family that is not in the educational space. Mm. Um, I, I know I'm the black. Lucky sheep you. <laughs> so many ways. So my sister is a fifth grade teacher. She she won best in district. So I'm just saying. Hey, great, awesome congrats. One. Uh, my brother was a math teacher, and now he is CTO for a school district here in Texas. His wife is a, a professor. So literally, I it's like they're all talking about pedagogy, and then I'm like, I, I don't understand. I, I have a boring, like, corporate job. So, <laughs> uh, so it, but near, if I say it's near and dear to my heart. So how, let's start with the basics. How did you wind up? doing what you do because that's not like there's not a really obvious like apply for this job here path right so how did this happen danny well i'll, I'll try and be as brief as possible but i'll warn you right now michelle i, I tend to have long answers to short questions uh, <laughs> uh it's actually ironic i i entered education i i was a journalist and i was working for a a wonderful company in washington dc and i got job offers all around the country to be a journalist at, for, for various daily newspapers um, and then um, I got one offer at a major daily where I was going to get the city beat for $16,500 a year. And then a friend notified me, oh, they're looking for teachers in South Central and Los Angeles, South Central Los Angeles for $25,000 a year. Fine. And so I always tell people I became a teacher for the noblest of reasons, for the high pay. And yeah. uh, I've been in education now for over 25 years. I absolutely love it. Uh, and really now what I'll, I'll do uh, when I'm speaking is I go around the, the country reminding uh, teachers and administrators uh, uh, to bring the joy back in education and not quit. Because we really need, I, I admire that uh, your whole family's in education. It's, it's always been difficult. It's a little bit more trying now than ever before. And, uh, Maybe it's because I, I used to be a journalist. I like to put things in simple language. Uh, I, I don't like words like pedagogy. Nobody understands that. It's just, what can we do to really help kids? And uh, when I was an administrator, I always was one of these annoying people that asked why. Uh, because for me, if the answer to the question is not because that's what's best for kids, my answer is why are we doing it then? Um, you know, so I, I'm very passionate and uh, especially with uh, with families that uh, feel disenfranchised. I think my siblings, oh, I know my siblings have said uh, any number of times that anytime the word pedagogy gets used in high in the educational setting, that is usually the administrator using that word to answer why and something <laughs> that is totally bullshit, right? They're saying, <laughs> Well, you know, why do we have to, you know, be here at six o'clock? Well, it's a pedagogical blah, blah, blah. No, it's not. No, it's a thing that you said we have to do. But like, but that is usually it is the, according to them, and I am not in the space, it is the official, unofficial um, 
educational buzzword that means because <laughs> I said so. so. <laughs> yeah, if you if you want to win an argument, I always say use really uh, confusing vocabulary words or just claim that uh, Harvard did the study. You know, I always say Harvard did the study because uh, you know if Harvard did the study, it must be more legitimate than if uh, Texas A and M did the study. <laughs> now, see, I'm from Texas. I would not say that out loud in Texas. <laughs> Absolutely not. For the record, to all of my family that bleed maroon, I did not say what Danny just said about Tamu. So for real. <laughs> um, but I, so obviously you're passionate about actually making things better. And let's just like jump in with like where we are right now, because I am inundated on one half of my business with dozens, if not hundreds of people trying to GTFO from education. Mm. That like the... It wasn't a straw that broke the collective camel back. Like this, these last year have been like a whole like forest on them and all the pressures that were already there, they are leaving as quickly and as, you know, as they possibly can. What do we need? What would your recommendation or advice be to educator authorities and um, administrators that want teachers to not leave in droves? Like, how do they bring that fun? How do they mitigate that weight that they've dumped on them that is why people are trying to leave? Well, that's a that's a very long question, Michelle. There's all kinds of complications there. Uh, I, You know, there's some people say the glass is half full. Some say it's half empty. I'm neither of those people. I think the glass is overflowing. Everybody else is going to tell you the pandemic's the worst thing ever to happen to education. I believe it's the best thing to happen in the last 150 years because it's forcing us to rethink and reexamine what we do in education. Uh, I always love it uh, when I hear... Uh, people say they have the answer to education. Now, I, I have a lot of background in education, and I really don't know specifically the answer. I do know that they're asking the wrong question. And the question that I often hear is, uh, what's, the, what's the best way to help students? And I'm like, that's the wrong question. The proper question is, what are the best ways to help students? Because there are 36 answers. You know, uh, for some students... Uh, a, a traditional public education is fantastic. Some kids, private schools. Some kids, it's charter schools. Some kids, it's vocational schools. Some kids, it's magnet schools. Some kids, it's home schools. Uh, every kid is different. And that's where I always get a, a laugh out of businesses trying to compare schools to businesses. I'm like, well, businesses, you're just dealing with the same widgets. You don't have uh, moving parts. Uh, all kids are a little bit different. And uh, when I'm working with teachers and administrators, I always say, you know, if you have 33 kids in your classroom, you probably have 33 completely unique motivational and learning styles and you have to accommodate based on the needs of uh, every single student. And so there's more than one right answer. Uh, uh, for the teachers that are struggling, I was blessed. Uh, I spent most of my career in South Central Los Angeles, a town named Compton. And uh, I was the only man at my school. I was the only white person at my school. I taught with predominantly elderly African-American women from the South who all had been teaching for at least 20 years. And my mentor was Mrs. Turner. Mrs. Turner was from Alabama. Mrs. Turner had been teaching for 40 years and she believed in two things, Michelle, discipline and the Bible. When her little ones got out of line, she started reading aloud revelations to them. And it was this saint of a human being that took me under her wing because at that time, uh, my principal was uh, uh, Mrs. Lucifer. And Mrs. Lucifer would come into my classroom on her broomstick with her permascal and her foreboding clipboard. And she would tell me everything that I was doing wrong. And it was the wonderful Mrs. Turner who took me under her wing. And she said, you're not going to last long if you let that negative energy affect you. She's like, Miss Purcell, next time negative energy comes in this classroom, you do as I do. You know, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Oh, then you shut the door and do it your way. She's like, Mr. Bissell, I've been teaching here for 40 years. They've had 35 different reading programs. I got one, mine, and it works. And I was so blessed to have wow. a positive mentor in my corner. And I think that's what all of us really need, not just in education, all of us need that person that believes in us uh, often when we don't believe in ourselves. And I, that's what I'm doing a lot. I'll, I'll be speaking tomorrow in New Mexico to uh, a school district that uh, everybody's just drained. And I'm there to get everybody laughing and not really teach anybody what they don't know, but to remind them why they got into education in the first place. Um, I think that's fantastic. And I, I love the complexity of that answer. I do wonder though, like, you know, I, it makes me want to take it a step back 
further? Mm -hmm. Like, is the question, what things should we be doing to help students? Or is it, what are we trying to achieve with students? Mm -hmm. Because it feels like in a lot of ways, education has lost a little bit of its direction. And it's become, it feels as a parent and a consumer of media and listener to of siblings who whine about being teachers. (laughs) <laughs> um, that you know in a lot of ways the schools have become about we have to keep attendance at a certain level so that we get federal dollars yeah and that we have to achieve um certain percentage results on standardized tests and that that has become the focus of education rather than and that we haven't taken a beat as a country to step back and say what is it we're trying to achieve and why I love that. That's a good fundamental question, Michelle, because I think that uh, I, I completely agree with you. I, I, I've listened to some politicians say that the point of the American education system is to produce college graduates. And I vehemently I completely disagree with that. First of all, it's not guaranteed anywhere in the U.S. Constitution that you're entitled to an education. It's, uh, it's a concept that Thomas Jefferson offered, but it's not in the Constitution anywhere. But secondly... The point of our educational system is to produce tax-paying citizens. And if you want to, uh, there's a great uh, a, a fellow podcaster of yours, Mike Rowe. I love, I love his podcasts uh, the way I heard it. Mike Rowe used to host Dirtiest Jobs, and he has a foundation, and I completely agree with him. There's over, I think now it's over 9 to 10 million jobs in America that don't require a college degree. They just require a skill set. And I think we should be really uh, uh, encouraging people to to look at vocations as possible uh, alternatives to college. I mean, I, I tell people right now, you know, the average uh, teacher is required to take all these courses and, and get in debt for college education, whereas you could become a truck driver tomorrow uh, and make a very good wage. And we need truck drivers in this country. That, that's one of these things that people have to get out of their minds is uh, – I used to ask kids, um, well, what's more important, your arms or your legs? And they'd kind of be stumped. I'm like, well, here's the answer. They're both important. Uh, Neither one's more important than the other. And I think if more Americans would kind of actually come together and realize all of us have a part in this system, uh, we'd be much better off. So I think it's a great fundamental question that you're asking. It's it's kind of what I always used to ask, Michelle. Why? Why are we doing this? If it's just... because to reach some random number that somebody decided is important and I mean that that doesn't tell us anything I uh, there's always there's that great scene in Goodwill Hunting where uh, they talk about I, actually I don't think it, he says it completely in Goodwill Hunting but I always talk about a bottom graduate from the Naval Academy and a top graduate from Harvard there was this top graduate from Harvard named uh, Ted Kaczynski uh, who became the Unabomber and there was a bottom graduate from the Naval Academy who became Senator John McCain. Uh, and I'm like, you know, school doesn't tell you how people are going to do. I, I used to always tell my kindergartners, I'm like, gosh, I hope to God this isn't the best year of your life. I hope it's next year and the year after. I mean, the windshield's a lot bigger than the rearview mirror. I played high school football with guys that are still talking about when we played high school football together. I'm like, man, folks you know, we got to keep on looking forward and getting better every single day. And that's what I'm, I'm always trying. That's my point with kids is I want kids to leave my class feeling good about themselves. I I really want them to be naturally curious for the rest of their lives. They're questioning everything. I tell people there's no such thing as fake news. There's people who depend on one news source. All of us have this thing between our ears. You shouldn't be just listening to one person. You should be actually reading and uh, looking at multiple sources of information. And, and if I can encourage kids to be lifelong learners, critical learners, you know, I used to teach history. When I started teaching, I, I taught history at high school. And I used to tell the kids two things. First of all, you know, history books are usually written by the winners. Every event in history has multiple points of view. Uh, and I, I said, in this class, we're going to learn, uh, you know, uh, not I'm not going to teach you how to think. I'm, gonna, or I'm not, I'm not going to teach you what to think. I'm going to teach you how to think. You've got to be critical in your thinking and, and question everything. So I think we'd be much better off if we had that rather than a bunch of masses that are like a cult just nodding in agreement with, uh, you know, you don't want to be around people like that. You want to be around people that challenge you. So that was great. 
Cooper. I'm not sure that we answered the question. So let's come back and see if the two of us together, if we just were in charge of the world for a hot minute here, Danny. Mm -hmm. I think, and you can tell me why I'm wrong, that a great goal for the American educational system should be to produce people with the, produce citizens with the fundamental knowledge base that they need to be productive, self-sustaining members of society. Um, and to part of that to be, um, to inspire a continual curiosity and love of learning. I love in it. as many of them as possible. Great mission statement. I love it. Okay. So we I'm agree. I got it right. Hey. I'm a Baptist. I'm a Baptist in your front row, Michelle. Amen. I love it. That's great. That's okay. great. So well, it's actually the reason I developed my my reading program was I always challenge parents and teachers. I'm like, you know, I think I think schools do an adequate job of teaching kids how to read. But the question I always ask people is, what good is it teaching a kid how to read if they never want to read? Yeah. I teach kids why to read because I've never had to tell a kid, go watch TV. I've never had to tell a kid, go play a video game. And I never want to have to tell a kid, go read a book. I want them to choose to do it because, like you just said, they're naturally curious and want to learn something. So we've just fixed education. Well done, us. <laughs> Great. What's next? Right? Health, so now, no, oh, good golly. <laughs> uh, definitely not on that one today. Uh -huh. we've had, we only have an hour here, Danny. Um, so what I do want to talk about is actually reading. So Great. as... Um, I have been, as you can probably guess, I come from a very academic family. Mm -hmm. Books have always been a thing. Um, and I had never known anybody who did not have a true, I had always assumed that all smart people had a love of learning. Mm. And then I met the fabulous man that I married to. <laughs> and I cannot tell you, to my dad's dying day, he was always disappointed that my husband would not talk to him about books. And every time he's like, oh, have you read such and so book? And my husband would be like, no, Jerry, I don't read. I don't enjoy it. I did not realize until him that not everybody naturally pictures what they read as they read it. And that they don't just, that this, I just assumed that that was a thing that all humans naturally did. I have now been educated that that is not the case and that especially with some forms of neurodivergence that that's something you have to teach them to do um or you get my husband who is like i can see words on the page i can understand words from the page there's no like mm -hmm. he's like i'm not going on adventures in my head and that to me as a reader as somebody who loves that is one of the saddest things i have ever heard genuinely mm -hmm. Talk to me about like what that means, like at, to use the bad word pedagogy as a pedagogue, like as a teacher, where is that teachable moment? How does this happen? And, and what as a parent do I need to do to make sure that my kids don't wind up in the same boat that my husband's in? Great. Well, your husband didn't have me as a teacher. He'd love reading if I was his teacher because uh, I was your husband, Michelle. I grew up hating reading. Uh, the only thing I would read is a TV guide. It's yep. ironic because my father was a, a public librarian. Oh, and wow. I, always, I always hated the public library. The furniture was uncomfortable. It always smelled funny in the public library to me. There was always some elderly woman telling me to be quiet. There's always a homeless guy who thinks he's a vampire hanging out in the public library. I always hated it. Uh, and uh, it wasn't until I actually started teaching in the inner city and I saw how most of my students had a lot of disadvantages compared to me that I said, shame on me. I mean, Michelle, I was really blessed without realizing it. Uh, both of my parents were together. Um, we weren't wealthy. We, we were very lower middle class, but we always had food on the table. Uh, we always had plenty of access to books around us. My parents read in front of us and they read to us. And I realized, shame on me. I had a whole bunch of advantages. A lot of kids have never been exposed to these things. And it really gets back to what I was saying is that you know, your husband grew up in Britain, and I guarantee you he was force-fed, uh, you know, Jane Austen and Charles Dickens and William Shakespeare. And there's nothing wrong with any of those authors, but I bet you 
as, as his teacher, I would find out what your husband was interested in. Usually I find like little boys, they'll love sports. And so if I started reading him books about football, he'd be interested or, you know, I don't know what your husband's interested in. Maybe he's Video game. Totally video game. Yeah, so I would teach. That, I that would was another problem, right? Because again, the teachers, exactly like you said, all the little boys are like, oh, don't you want to talk about footy? And my husband was like, I could not care less about football if I tried but well, no, which is fine, which is fine, though, because there's a great, uh, I love the, uh, Jeff Kinney's just wonderful. He wrote the Diary of the Wimpy Kids series, and there's this wonder, I don't remember which of the books it was, but the mother decides she's going to start a mother-son book club, and so she invites all the boys from the neighborhood to bring a book to their first book club meeting, and the mother, she's brought, like, Anne of Green Gables, Little House on the Prairie, Sarah Plain and Tall, and the boys have brought, like, How to Cheat at Video Games, The Book of Dinosaurs, The book of bodily functions and i'm like that's exactly right you you build the 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 reading program based on the interests i mean if you're if your husband's into video games there's tons of video game books that i would i would be reading to him to get him excited oh i'm like oh i can get you to the next level if you read this chapter and so, you know that's going to spark his interest you know i always tell people it's not reading unless you're into it yourself. The happiest day of my life, besides my wedding day, was uh, when I earned my PhD, my wife asked me, well, why are you so happy? I'm like, because from now on, I pick the books. And to me, that's what reading really is, is when you actually pick, I mean, the research, the pedagogical research is very clear on this, Michelle. It doesn't matter what you read. What matters is how much you read. It doesn't matter if you're reading James Joyce or James and the Giant Peach. People who read more read better. I can tell you that the little boy who only reads books about cheating at video games is going to be a, a better reader than the little boy who's not reading anything. And so basically, your husband just grew up in an environment where that wasn't emphasized. And so the second part of your, your question was how to make sure that your kids don't wind up like that. Well, your kids have to see you and your husband reading. You have to emphasize it. And even if your husband is just reading the newspaper or something, that's 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 an, a message to the kids. Um, kids mimic us. I, I, you know, uh, yeah. there was a great f freaky anti-drug commercial in the in the mid-1980s. And this, this dad, he finds uh, marijuana in his son's room. And he's like, where did you learn how to do this? And finally, the you son's like, yes, I remember. Like, yes. You, dad, I learned it from you. And that's exactly right. Is, and that uh, is the dad that is not good at hiding his stash. At that. <laughs> I'm, that's just right. I'm just Hide saying. I'm just saying. That's the point. Right. <laughs> yeah, so, do I mean, better. It's, yeah, you know, uh, do what I do, what I say, not not what I do. I mean, um, sure. you know, kids have to see that there's an emphasis. Here's, can I just give you a quick tip for you as yeah. a parent? Yeah. So this is one of the best tips I give to parents. Is uh, I have a feeling that television is here to stay, and uh, so I I'm a big believer in embracing technology and figuring out how it can help us. You know, President Bush Sr. over 30 years ago signed a very important law in this country that said every television set in America has to have closed captioning. So here's the tip. Turn on the closed captioning on the TV. Now, when I when I suggest this at live events with parent groups, they'll be like, well, wait a sec. You know, if, if the show's in English and the subtitles are in English, what good does that do? I'm like, well, that's a fair point, but let me make a point. Michelle, have you ever watched a show with subtitles and not looked at the subtitles? That's very oh. difficult to do. Your brain yes, is directed is. towards the text. And there's actually research that supports this. If you look at reading scores around the world, the more you watch TV, the lower the reading scores are in every single country in the world except for one. The country that watches the most TV in the world also has the highest reading scores in the world. It's Finland. And people ask me, well, how can that be? I'm like, well, Finland makes really bad TV shows. And so what they do is they import all these old American sitcoms like Happy Days and Welcome Back, Cotter and Brady Bunch. And they have to subtitle them all the time. The kids are constantly reading. Turn on the closed captioning. That's an, a, a, an instant way to get your kids reading without them feeling like they're being force-fed reading. I mean, they're three and five. So, I mean, we're not at right. the like, actual reading <laughs> stage. Right now, we just try to get like express that we are excited about books and about learning. And I think that, I think that I love your point that they mimic. And so if I'm excited about a book that I'm reading, if my husband is excited about book, something that he's reading, 
that that's um, that that's a really good way to kind of start that. But we also get excited about reading things as as a family, and good. that's one of their that is one of their favorite things. They love the um, and we. So I am interested in something that we have been trying of late. Okay. With um, getting them to because we're trying to transition into chapter books. Mm-hmm. And transition into like, hey, we can have more than like, you know, three pages with mostly pictures. <laughs> That's uh-huh. a book, and that can be fun. And so we're trying to do some of that and then having the fact that there is a movie as a background. So like, well, before we can watch the movie, we have to understand the book. So let's right. read the book and then we can go, we read Charlotte's Web and then we can go watch Charlotte's Web as the movie. Except that we can't because my oldest would just cry. Like he would not be able to handle the death of Charlotte. Yeah. It would not be a thing for him. <laughs> he would lose his shit. We tried yeah. Dumbo Danny. It was awful. We had to stop the movie, <laughs> console the child. He was like, why would they not let him have his mommy? That's messed up. And I was like, I know. It's okay. It's going to be fine. It's a Disney film. It's all going to be good in the end. Um, <laughs> I'll, give you, I'll give you a book recommendation then. So there's a great book by a British comedian, uh, Jeannie Willis, called Tadpole's Promise. So Tadpole's Promise is about... Uh, a caterpillar who's in love with a tadpole and she says uh, tad i love you just make me make me one promise promise me you'll never change and tadpole says oh i love you caterpillar i'll never change well what happens to tadpole he starts to change and caterpillar she's like i you lied to me and she dumps him well then the caterpillar she climbs up the tree she forms a cocoon and a couple of weeks later she emerges from the chrysalis a butterfly and she realizes I was too harsh on Tad. All of us go through changes. And so and then she the frog eats the butterfly. He flies down to Tadpole to apologize. And now he's a bullfrog and he sticks out his tongue and he eats her. The yes. end. Oh, my, I love my kindergartners are always like, she dies. And I'm like, be nice to each other, kids. <laughs> this is why Circle you don't of life, my friends. Circle of life. <laughs> Absolutely. No, I, I think what you're doing is a great strategy. I do that. I've never understood why people have a problem with the movies because I think they're great. And I, I'll let kids watch the movie before they read the book. And here's what they always say, no matter what, is, wow, the movie's good. The book's actually a lot better. That's exactly what them, I want them to understand. I like what you're doing to, to read it before the, the, the movie because you picture what the characters and the settings look like on your own. And yeah. so you're always going to have a problem with the movie because you're like, wait, that's not how I pictured Charlotte. Oh, Wilbur doesn't talk that way. And Templeton, oh, he, he's a lot more interesting than the movie made him. So, And that's kind of our hope is to have that dialogue around, like, mm-hmm. does that look like what you thought? So, like, we did Jumanji. Mm-hmm. They were like, that is not what happened in the book, Mama. That's right. I was like, That's right. Well, the book is like 10 pages and the movie is an hour and a half. And, yeah. you know, they needed Robin Williams to be a bigger character. So I like, <laughs> they're like, no crocodile tried to eat them in the book, Mama. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I, I get it. I get it. But so, yeah, we're trying to use that as like a, is this, is this right, right? Is this is how you pictured and kind of to encourage them to do that. So that makes me feel better. I, this is a, I, this is a great conversation, Danny. I have been right yeah. so many times. I never get to be this right in my real life. This That's is right. fantastic. <laughs> we should talk all the time. I'm here to affirm you. Now is your, is your husband reading with you to the kids? He does. And Good. like, he, he knows, like, it was so interesting. So the British educational system is exceedingly different. Yeah. Uh-huh. And we are old. And we both grew up in times where not only were educational systems and expectations different, but like I went my entire childhood dyslexic and nobody ever noticing. Wow. I was just told that I was lazy, like all of the things, right? The people of our generation say that we got told, right? Like, hey, here's a weird thing. She gets like 99th percentile for everything until spelling. And then she's 30th percentile, but nobody is like, hey, maybe that's because she can't see the words, right? So, um, but yeah, so those types of things for me. And for him, it was um, around ADHD. He's profoundly ADHD. Mm-hmm. Never noticed because his doesn't manifest as the things that we think of as problematic behavior. It manages, it's an internal, so he like, he can't focus on things. He needs fidget devices, et cetera. Uh-huh. And so, um, but as a result, it was never diagnosed. And mostly the result of that is he was just completely turned off from education. 
And yeah. because of how the British system works, nobody kind of gave a shit. And nobody yeah. noticed because they don't have as much ongoing accountability as we do. Well, what kind of cracks me up about what you're saying, Michelle, is what I hear all the time. I was with a fourth grade boy and his teacher's like, oh, he doesn't know how to read. I'm like, well, I was with him for an hour. And in one hour, he texted about 20 people. He sent a couple of emails. He, uh, he Googled about 15 different sites. I'm like, he's highly literate. She's using a definition from 75 years ago. And that's exactly what I would do with your husband is maybe... Reading doesn't just mean reading Dostoevsky, War and Peace. I always love it when people say, oh, kids today, they don't read. I'm like, kids today are reading so much more than kids in the 18th century. You just aren't, you aren't qualifying what reading is. I mean, tweets and Facebook posts and these things are reading. I mean, now, is it literature? No, but I, I often question if, you know, if literature is the way we should always be defining reading. I mean, I think literature is important, but I don't think that it's the end all be all. I think what's most important at first is to really make reading fun for, I mean, I, I've played lots of sports. And when I was playing basketball, if all I would do at practice is dribble the ball and play defense, and I never got a chance to play the game, I would have lost my interest in basketball, but we got to play the game. I, I see so many classrooms that are focused on these explicit skills yep. and they teach kids how to hate reading. It's like, I'm a writer and I always love watching people teach kids how to write. And so many teachers, they spend so much time editing. I'm like, well, that's a great way to get kids to hate writing. I'm like, just get those ideas down on paper. This is how you get a, a love for writing is coming up with different stories. And so I, I just think with your with your husband, um, the, the system wasn't designed for him. And I don't even think today it's designed for, for little boys and little girls like your husband. Uh, I, I mean, I think it's, I always tell this to teachers, you know, anybody can be a teacher, you know, I think it, Teaching is really easy. Being a good teacher is really tough because being a good teacher, you have to figure out what what clicks with every single kid. That's very difficult. It's very time consuming. Trying to it's it's like a good coach is uh, good coaches. They figure out what kind of players they get, and they they design the the team around the team. Okay, okay, this is what we're good at this year, so we're going to do this. And it's the same thing as a teacher. I'm like, okay, um, this is what's working right now I, this is what i'm going to do i love that your your husband's actually been reading with your kids i used to have a nonprofit called real dads read and i used to always challenge the dads i'm like hey dad you want to know why your kid like foot likes football so much because that's the only time you spend with him if you spent your time reading with him he'd be a reader because kids are looking up to you all the time and i i love kudos to your husband even though he doesn't like to read he he understands the value of him reading to the kids so both of you deserve kudos for that you're not the kind of people that i have to work with usually a lot of people don't realize there's just little basic things that you naturally were doing that if you do these with your kids your kid's going to be in pretty good shape i'll never forget so one of the first books that um my best friend bought my kids when they were still in utero um was room on the broom and so it's been like a continual thing for them. And so when they got to a certain age, we discovered that there was the animated version. And my son, we watched the first time and he was just like, oh my God, it's on the screen. And we got to the end and he goes, mama, that dragon is not how the dragon sounds and it was because like the delivery like the actor had made a very different choice from the way that mommy had always read mm. the book right and because i because i'm a little bit of a sadist so i like to try to scare the shit out of my kids when i read to them <laughs> and so i make sure that the dragon is in fact scary and loud and they were like that dragon is not scary that's not right, Mama. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. Yay. Mommy's version. But yeah, so it's been an ongoing part. It's always been something we do. And now, because my husband loves video games, he's doing a lot of what you said in terms of are using that as the carrot. So they're like, the boys are currently obsessed with Pokemon. No. Uh -huh. But, but the Pokemon video games require actually a high degree of literacy, to your yeah. point, right? That you have to be able to read the interaction. You have to be able to read the instructions. And so we've said to the boys, as soon as you guys can read, y'all can play Pokemon. We'll yeah. hook you up. But you have to be able to read to play Pokemon. So just saying. And they're like, 
I'm on it. And like every time we remind them of that, like we have a renewed little burst of like, I'm going to go do all of the phonic stuff. Sounds great, kid. Fantastic. I mean, they're three and five. We're trying not yeah. to be, you know, like you have to read yesterday, but like that's kind of, and just turned five, like a couple weeks ago. Mm -hmm. So um, definitely like trying to help with that. So I love that. And yes, we definitely are trying to be better along those lines. And I love that you've worked with like the dads and reading. And again, I think that I come from a place of privilege where, you know, I have, most of my friends are the yuppie soccer, soccer mom types <laughs> who have all read all of the parenting books and were right arguing about, should we be child led or parent led household and that sort of thing. So it's just not something that comes up in our circle. And uh -huh. I think that it's good self-awareness that like, it doesn't like that our circle is not all the circles out there. Yeah, I, you know, uh, yeah, I completely agree with uh, what you're doing. I mean, and I, this is where I'm going to sound like an old guy, child-led versus parent-led. It's always parent-led. Like, kids need to learn respect of their elders. <laughs> I, hear, I, see, I see some kids talking to their parents, and I just think of the Willy Wonka song, uh, what do you get? When your kid is a brat, pampered and spoiled like a Siamese cat. And then there's like, you know exactly who's to blame. Dun, dun, the mother and the father. <laughs> Absolutely. And I will say, you know, we were very cognizant when we made the very, we made the choice, right? So when we, I was pregnant and we, the people were like, yes, you should really continue. Child-led parenting is really, we know that's what's great. And I read the books. I was like, there is not a world in which I'm going to live like that. Yeah. That's not like I, I, I cannot do that. I am way too much of a control freak. I will lose my shit. And so instead, we had to go do some research to find parenting models that were the healthiest way to be parent led. So basically, my entire life is like an episode of Bluey at all times. Like that, <laughs> that's that's my life. Um, but um, I want to talk about and get you to weigh in on something that is a hot but a button option hot button topic right now, at least in my circles. And I think you would have a really interesting perspective. We, um, most of our friends are in a position where they could either send their children to charter schools mm -hmm. or even afford to send them to a private school or some kind of an online academy homeschooling situation, or they could send them to the public school down the road. Mm -hmm. And consistently, the dialogue that we are having is, where is the balance between I want the best for my kid academically, but also I need my kid to be well socialized and mm -hmm. have a balanced view of society and not just hang out with a bunch of other spoiled rich kids. Yeah. And trying to figure out where that is. I would love to hear you weigh in on your values and, and where you see that. <laughs> well, I mean, again, every kid's a little bit different. Uh, every when kid I do is different, yeah. When I do parent trainings, that's one of the first questions parents will ask me is, what can I do for my kid? And I'm going to respond the same way I'm going to respond to you, Michelle, is uh, the fact that you're here right now already tells me 80% of what I need to know. You know, the other 20% we can work on, but if parents are that concerned talking about it, I know the kid's going to be all right wherever they put that kid in school. Now, then it's just a matter of making some decisions, uh, you know, because I believe that we'd all be much better off if we were, you know, around diverse people all the time. And I think that's really important. And uh, when I talk about diversity, you know, often they think of just the color of skin. And I'm like, that's not what I'm, diversity is a lot more than just the color of your skin. It's uh, the religion that you choose to practice or not practice. Uh, it's your socioeconomic status. You know, uh, I, I think people need to be exposed to different people. A lot of the problems in the world would not exist if people were forced to be around one another, <laughs> you know, I so, yeah. I, yeah. So I, I really think that that's really the answer I would give, um, you, know, so, you know, I have three kids of my own and we're in the best school district in the state. And I don't like the schools. I don't like, I don't think that they're sufficient. And so now all three of my kids are in charter schools. Uh, when we lived uh, in California, 
the schools were fantastic. The public schools were fantastic, and I would have kept them in the public schools. Um, so it's just a matter of choice. And actually, um, last year during the pandemic, I was so fed up with my youngest daughter's uh, uh, public school that uh, we homeschooled her. And I actually thought we, we went through a Christian homeschooling program, and I thought that was more rigorous than any other program I have I have seen. I, I thought it was incredible. Uh, it was actually a little bit too tough, I thought, but uh, it was incredible how much she learned in just a, a year. Uh, now we have her at a charter school, which uh, even the charter school I'm not too I'm not too delighted with. But again, I told my wife, I'm like, you know, our kids have us. They're going to turn out all right. I mean, uh, I don't know about you, Michelle. When I became when I was going to become a parent, I'm like, oh. I want my kids to be doctors and lawyers and very, you know, once you have the kids, then my, my, my goal was, you know what, I want my kids to be kind people and I want them to be good and I want them to, to do whatever they want and just do their best at whatever they decide they want to. And I want my kids to be happy. Yeah. I want my kids to be independent Yeah. and I want them to be kind. And after yeah. that, I don't give a shit. Yeah, I, I think those are noble goals. I really do. I think we'd all be better off with those, you know, as opposed to, you know, I deal, Everybody with, has to be, I, yeah. I, I deal oh. with different types of parents. <laughs> oh, no. And I am totally a tiger mom as well. Like I say that, but believe me, total tiger mom right here. Yeah. And I know that, but it's because from my perspective, I feel like part of my job as a mom is to make sure that when my kids get to the nexus points in their life where they get to pick paths that they have the, that I have set them up to be able to choose the path that they want. Whereas if I have not given them the tools, right? So I get frustrated with the parents who don't help educate their kids when they're in high school about what reality of applying to university is. So then like your kid dicks around for four years and then it comes time to apply and they're like, oh, my baby didn't get anywhere. Well, no, <laughs> duh. And that's on you, not on them. Yeah. If you let them dick around, if they got to that point and went, mom, I have no desire to go to some big name bougie school. I want to go be an air conditioning repair guy and go to the trade school around the corner. It's fine with me, Danny. I don't yeah. care. I just want to make sure that they have the option to do what they want to do. And there are things that I have to make sure happens is my personal opinion on that. That's great. Really, it's my justification for being a pushy tiger mom. And also, <laughs> I don't think you're a tiger mom. I, I mean, I, I don't think it's bad to have high expectations for your kids. Because it's the same thing when I was a teacher. I used to tell my kids, I'm like, I have high expectations for all of you. You and I both know what your best effort is. And if you don't give me your best effort, I'm going to call you on it. I'm a huge believer in children will rise to the bar that you set. Absolutely. And if they, you set the bar they here, rise that's, they what, drop. They will, that's, that's right. what they will achieve. So Completely like, great. you know, somebody, we, we don't believe in baby talk in this household. I don't believe in speaking in monosyllabic terms to make it easier for small people. My, my kids don't understand something. They know their job is to ask me, mommy, what does that word mean? Which can be difficult. Uh, <laughs> But especially when your children know all the words to the musical Hamilton, Danny, which there's a wow, lot of that's words great. There. That's great. <laughs> say that. How do you? There's some words that you would probably rather not necessarily describe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Three year old, right? Well, they're going to hear that when you cut somebody off. When somebody cuts you off on the freeway. Oh no, the f bomb. They're totally <laughs> that one. They needed no clarification. Barter was one that they needed to know uh, what that was. Uh, uh, suicide was one mm -hmm. they needed to add. Like. Things that you're like, oh, shit, we're driving to school, and now mommy's explaining to a three-year-old what a suicide is. Okay, here we go. <laughs> and it's 7 <laughs> o'clock in the morning. Oh, uh, so, yeah. Um, but I, so we've never done any of that, and I think that that, I think you're right, that just the pure environment that we live in puts in there. I will say, <laughs> my oldest son thinks that, like, you don't have a real house if you don't have a cinema room, right? Oh, Wow. Oh, but listen to that. So he just got that from your husband. He called it a cinema room, oh, not yeah. like a movie. Because it's funny that you said that because my wife is from Singapore and I thought my kids were brilliant when they were young. I, I look at my wife one day. I'm like, man, our kids are really, they have incredible vocabulary. And she's like, why? I'm like, well, well, Sean, he just, he just uh, told me that his toy is damaged. And my wife, she went through a British uh system in in singapore she's like well how would you say it and i'm like his toy is broken 
And it, I, every now and then I catch the, the British schooling in my kids. You know, they'll say, instead of saying very, they say quite. Yep. Oh, it's, it's quite good. <laughs> oh, it's quite good. Quite good. My no, it's very good. <laughs> a knockout, dragged out fight with his cousin as to whether or not it's a garden or a yard. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> his cousin was firmly of the belief that there are no plants, ergo, it is a yard. And my yep. son was like, it's still a garden. I don't understand where the confusion is. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> they stood and screamed at each other in their underwear for apparently 30 minutes. My sister recorded about two minutes of it. It was hilarious. Um, but yeah, so um, so that's really, it's to your point about the different types of diversity, that's it's the socioeconomic diversity, honestly. Absolutely. We have friends that are all flavors of, you know, sexual orientation and age and skin tones and all the rest of it. So like, cool. I am more concerned that like, he doesn't think that everybody has a cinema room, right? <laughs> that that's not his normal. Um, and that he needs to have an understanding of like where our privilege, in fact, kind of falls on the spectrum. So kids need some adversity. I, you know, when we, we lived in a very nice community in California, beach community where everybody was very, you know, well off. And then when we moved to Colorado, um, my kids had to change schools. They had to make new friends or whatever. And for the first time in their life, they dealt with some real adversity. And uh, I thought, wow, this is actually, this is good for them that they'll, uh, you know, <laughs> I mean, because before I remember we were in, I had taken the kids, we were in Mexico and there were some kids begging on the streets and my kids were asking if they wanted to play. And I'm like, they don't want to play. They, they're starving. They eat. Yeah. And it, it, it led to some pretty interesting discussions where the kids needed to be exposed to that. Uh, and I thought, oh, that's pretty good. That's, you know, and, and that's what I love about books, Michelle, is like books allow you to have a passport without ever leaving the country. During the pandemic, you still get to travel as long as you have a public library card. You can still uh, encounter, uh, yeah, with my youngest daughter, we read The Secret Garden. I'd actually never read The Secret Garden because I'm like, why would I be interested in some little British girl. <laughs> and it was actually a beautiful book. I was like, wow, this is a really well-written book. And I, I enjoyed reading it with her. Oh, that gets to your point about chapter books was uh, my strategy with when I was a teacher is I would just read to the kids. I'm like, Harry took out his wand. He looked at Voldemort and we'll read the rest of this right after recess. All the kids are like, oh, I got to get back from recess on time because I want to hear what happened. I mean, that's how, you, you know, it's the same thing that, t that TV shows do is they'll, they'll leave you on a cliffhanger so that you have to come back next week. I think my first uh, memory of that from a teacher, they did that with Celery Stocks at Midnight um, mm. uh, and the Benicula book. And I still remember I got sick as a kid and I missed like three days oh. of the book. And it was right at the end, Danny. And I was like, I, as an adult, I went back and read that book because it had from the eight, like that happened when I was like five and in my twenties, it still bothered me that yeah. I did not know what happened to Panicula. Um, right. How did they expose the rabbits? <laughs> so, That's right. We need closure for sure. Absolutely. Um, so I love all of that. I cannot believe we have been talking for as long as we have. We're we're rapidly approaching the end here. So many things I wanted to ask you. So many topics we haven't gotten to. What guide me? What do, what do we need to talk about before we go? Well, um, first of all, I wanted to thank you for all that you do, Michelle. I, I think we all need a little bit more positivity in the, in the world. And the fact that people are listening or watching this podcast, you, you know, we're on the right track. People one of the best things I did in 2021 was I turned off the TV news because it didn't serve me. And so I started listening to a lot more positive, uplifting uh, podcasts like yours because I wanted to learn. I'm like, you know, I want things that put me in a good mood, not in a bad mood. Um, and uh, so I wanted to serve you and your audience. Uh, so if if uh, your audience, if they go to freegiftfromdanny.com, and I know you'll put it in the show notes, yeah. uh, everybody's going to get a complimentary uh, electronic copy of my book, Read, Lead, and Succeed. This is a book I wrote it for a uh, school principal who was trying to keep his faculty positively engaged. And so I said, okay, I'll write you a book. And so every, awesome. week, every week I give you a concept, an inspirational quote, an inspirational story, 
a book recommendation on a book you should read, but you're probably too lazy because you're an adult. So I also give you a children's picture book recommendation that demonstrates the same concept. You read that in five minutes. And then I'm also going to give you access to a, a series of uh, parent trainings, gives you a taste of what I do for my program, which is basically in just over two months, I can get kids to read more, read better, and most importantly, love reading. Uh, that's my gift to everybody. Um, um, and, I, uh, yeah. I love it. I love it. I love it. All of it. Thank you so much for that. That's so <laughs> generous of you. So thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's, I, I actually have really enjoyed this, Michelle. We, we, we <laughs> get a lot of stuff. Maybe we should ha hit healthcare or whatever. And I love that. Uh, tell all your relatives I'll come. I, I basically, I'm a resident of Texas every August because all the different school districts have me do their convocation uh, keynote address to to get their teachers pumped. I always tell, I, I make fun of school districts. I'm like, they bring me three times a year at the beginning of the year to pump everybody up, the middle of the year to keep them pumped up, and the end of the year to keep them all from quitting. And it's been so tough these last couple of years. But again, I always take the optimistic viewpoint and there's all kinds of data that's coming in right now that's kind of interesting. So Harvard did a study. Uh, this is fascinating that they're showing that African-American boys are actually doing a lot better now that they've been doing remote learning because they've had a much lower referral rate for, for discipline, which is one of the things I encountered in the inner city. I saw too many African-American boys that they were enthusiastic and excited and people misinterpreted that as being a discipline problem. I mean, um, I taught in Houston, Texas for a little while and my favorite uh, student of all time, I know you're not supposed to have a favorite student, but I had a favorite student, his name was Howard. And Howard was the son of a Baptist minister and Howard's father spoke like Martin Luther King Jr. So Howard spoke like Martin Luther King Jr. And so one day I was reading a book to the class called uh, Stuart Little by this guy named E.B. White. And uh, after I read a chapter every day, I always have the kids applaud. So the kids are applauding one day and uh, one of my little boys, Deshaun, he starts laughing. He's like, <laughs> I like Howard cause he's little. Or, or I, I like Stuart cause he's little. And Howard stands up, he's like, don't you get it? Don't you get it? We all be little, we all be little, but we be big someday like Mr. B. And he points at me and I realized this child could lead a revolt. And Howard was the reason I became a teacher. I love his unbridled enthusiasm. It's what gets me out of bed every single day. And I worry to death for Howard because I knew next year he was getting Miss Hampton and Miss Hampton was gonna misinterpret his enthusiasm as a discipline problem because Miss Hampton is a direct descendant of Darth Vader. And so Howard taught me a valuable lesson, you know, never give a kid an answer, give him a strategy because sooner or later, all of us are gonna have a Miss Hampton to deal with. Have we properly prepared our kids on how to deal with the situation? So kudos to you and your husband, Michelle, for letting the kids listen to Hamilton because who cares if some of those vocabulary words are a little bit complicated? It actually leads to discussions of some things, frankly, a lot of kids need to know about. Um, I need my kids to know that when you're down on your knees, you got to rise up. I, I rise up and, you know, you want to be the uh, uh, in the room where it happens. <laughs> That's right. All the things that they're letting, I'm down. I love um, it. Thank you so much for your time and, and your enthusiasm and your fabulous offer. Thank you. Thank you, Danny. I really appreciate it. Thanks for all you do, Michelle. God bless. You've been listening to, Hey, I want your job. For more information on how you can get your own awesome job, visit ONH Consulting at www.onhconsulting.com. We offer incredible resumes, no-nonsense career advice, and real-world tips for landing a job in today's market. Check us out on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Insta for more insider information. Soon, you'll be hearing us say, I'm Michelle Olivier, and hey, I want your job. <laughs>